This is Healthcare Strategies. Millions of people are diagnosed with cancer in a single year in the United States. And with an illness as serious and that invokes as much fear as cancer, care delivery has never been able to center solely on the quality of treatment. It has also had to emphasize a good and compassionate patient experience. But like much of healthcare, the cancer patient experience hasn't stayed the same over time. Cancer care hasn't been immune to the shifting role of the patient to consumer, with more patients and their families looking to play a role in their care and embracing a sense of empowerment in their cancer care journeys. Cancer care teams will need to shift gears to make sure they continue to fill the medical, mental health, and emotional needs of cancer patients and their families as the ideal patient experience begins to shift. Here to talk with us about that today is Andre DeHinden, a managing director for healthcare consulting firm Accenture, who earlier this year helped author a report detailing findings about cancer patient experience. Thanks for joining us today, Andre. So let's dive right in because there's a lot to cover. Andre, how have patient oncology needs evolved over the years? How has the concept of patient empowerment and patient engagement changed the oncology field? I think there are a lot, a lot has changed and a lot has stayed same. What, what has changed a lot is that the odds of patients to survive cancer, to successfully make cancer chronic, have improved massively. Many cancers, not all. And when we think about breast cancer, melanoma, you know, it's just like a very different world in some areas. And other cancer is really not the case, but that changed. What is also today a blessing and sometimes a challenge is, is patients have much more information than in past years. In decades ago, there was very little. Today, the challenge is, well, you don't have too little, you have too much information. So I think that's another factor. And then generationally driven is, People want to be part of decision-making, not just be the subject decisions are taken. This emancipation is, is a great thing, but also healthcare systems and, and physicians need to cope with it. Wow, a patient wants to have an view on things. That's not simple. So this is evolving and changing. But one thing didn't change, humans want to live. Great. And I wanted to hear how in healthcare, we keep talking about this idea of consumerism. And I didn't know if you wanted to add anything about how this trend for healthcare consumerism might be influencing some of those changes that you just mentioned. Yeah, consumerism has a lot of goods and it also has some challenges. So with ubiquitous information out, this true market for information with serious players and less professional players mingling in, it's very hard for patients in a moment of distress to distinguish what is quality and what is not. What is fit for me? Sometimes even you get mixed up. Is it my cancer type or not? And you get scared or you get hopeless. So consumerization has, has its opportunities of platforms, which some really are very good, you know, which are curated and quality controlled and others not. So I think is as too many things, there are pros and cons to it. Let's, let's focus on the pros. What the pros actually are is more information, better connectivity, more personalization provided quality assurance is given because it's again, it's about human lives. It's not just a toy or a good we're talking about. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, cause you did sort of start, you know, paving the road to talk about some of these cancer patient pain points. What historically and currently are some of the bigger hiccups or challenges for individuals fighting cancer? So we have seen in our survey and report four big themes coming out again. One is Access to better information, the information relevant for you, available when you need it, and trustable. So one is that. 
Second one is more involvement. So kind of like from the suspicion moment to diagnosis and treatment, even when you live after you beat cancer, is where's your involvement? So kind of like, what's my role in treatment or am I just a study subject? Then a third one is holistic care. So while cancer and in our medical facilities have been made to target cancer as, you know, let's kill the cancer cell, but that's a human is more than this themselves. It's kind of like, you know, where are their emotions? You know, how do you manage the distress of, you know, not being able to serve your community, your family, not going to work? So this topic of holistic care is coming out louder and more. Or in the past, you know, many patients would have just turned silent. I think their voices are increasing to say, I'm not just um, a medical study subject, I'm a human. I have needs beyond cancer cells. And I think that's coming out more. And then the last one is like organizational hassle, which is linked to holistic care is, you know, when you're in cancer treatment, what if you can't work anymore? And in a country like United States, you might lose your healthcare benefits, which impacts again your healthcare. So everything is very much intertwined, I think, would we see the pain points around the bigger ecosystem when you zoom out of just individual cancer cells to the human, it's information, it's involvement, but also holistic care, which goes down to, you know, who will do my grocery shopping? So it's like taking a bigger lens on the whole cancer pathway. Great. And, you know, for healthcare organizations treating cancer patients that might want to start to ameliorate some of those pain points, what kind of stakeholders do they need to come to the table to begin to enhance patient-centered cancer care? I think since we were just talking about is about the ecosystem. It's it's about the healthcare providers, the physicians, the nurses, the pharmacists, and some non-healthcare providers, which are as important, the payers, the families, your employers. So each of uh, these actors have a role to play. So I think is just focusing on one of these stakeholders is better than none. But actually, the true value comes out of bringing like a puzzle piece together which helps the patient navigate through this labyrinth of these stages in, his, in, in the fight against a, a very difficult disease. Great. And I know you just mentioned a whole bunch of human stakeholders who work within a healthcare organization, but I think in healthcare, we're always talking about the role of technology too. I don't know if you could chat a little bit about how technology can also work to chip away at some of those pain points that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. So technology has uh, huge opportunities huge opportunities to bring stakeholders together, even when they're not face-to-face there. You know, you can connect people caring about a patient across the continuum of geography and time. You can actually make data interoperable, data flow, again, with the intent to treat patients better. You can create communities of people who might want to be known or not in creating actually, besides the face-to-face community, also virtual care ecosystem. But, you know, when you take all of these, they are as good as to intertwine the offline world with the online world. Very good. Technology can actually help grease the machinery, create new pockets of value, sort of like microservices. So it's an extremely complementary. It's not substitutive, but in complementary, it actually can make things better for patients. Great. And I wanted to kind of break down the role of some of those stakeholders who you mentioned earlier. I know we began talking about the actual clinician providers who play a role in making a better cancer patient experience. I wanted to know a little bit about some of the interpersonal and communication skills that oncology providers need to deliver more patient-centered care. We're coming to also talking about the medical profession. I'm myself a foreign D, so if whatever I will say about healthcare providers, it will 
a kind of background need as a healthcare provider, I would say is healthcare providers in majority have been trained and selected on the ability to cognitively intellectually treat disease. But we know in all these situations, at least half of the entire care success is thanks to interpersonal capabilities. Take time, listen, show empathy, which is not trivial for healthcare providers because, you know, to a degree, it's time is lacking. Sometimes personality selections don't allow physicians to do it. Or simply, you know, it's the healthcare providers need to keep a healthy distance so they can actually manage all the patients. But Coming back to one of the most important traits is, is to actually show empathy and be able to translate cold science into warm patient-centric value. I think that's probably one of the hardest, but also most impactful things to do. You just mentioned a really good point about how sometimes providers need to maintain that healthy distance so that they can actually engage in the care that they're delivering. We've been talking so much about clinician burnout and making sure that healthcare professionals are staying mentally and physically healthy themselves. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how providers can sort of, you know, carefully balance that strong empathy, but also making sure that they're they're taking care of themselves while treating these more medically complex folks? It's a great question. And probably there's not the one answer, but one is actually also here technology. And, and you can actually basically say this was the patient experience survey we did. You could also call it the human experience survey and, and the end health providers of humans. I think the same principles pertain to health providers as the patients, enable connectivity with people who are like-minded, feel you're not the only one, also have ways where you can catalyze frustrations, joy, or just look for somebody to lean on to talk. And, and sometimes you're actually happy and technology can help. You might not want to talk to somebody who is next door. You might want to talk to somebody who is very much related to you, but you might not know or you might not meet. These elements of talking about it, catalyzing advice, and sometimes just have somebody to lean on who you know you will not meet tomorrow are certainly a first step instead of trying to solve everything themselves. And healthcare providers have been trained to solve a lot of problems themselves to do the best for patients, but also they are humans who can come to the limit. So you've mentioned a lot about the wealth of information that cancer patients have sort of at their fingertips and across the entire healthcare spectrum. Patients are so much more comfortable Googling their symptoms or using the internet to learn more about their health. And, you know, that can be a really good thing, but it can also lead to a lot of medical misinformation and things like that. And this sort of has to do with that patient-provider relationship, making sure that patients and their providers both can discern the best information so that everyone is sort of on the same page and, and consuming the right kind of healthcare information. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how providers can really advise their patients when seeking information on their own? Yes, absolutely. One, number one is not the first hit on Google is probably the best, but it's very hard to tell a patient and just imagine it's one of us, but under stress, you'll read through the first headlines and then you get drawn into a direction you press the link. I think when we step out is, I think the benefit for patients, all actors interacting, their healthcare providers, pharmaceutical companies, care institutions is not to create more platforms, but actually to work together to have less. How do you create ecosystems where players might be competing for whatever commercial interest, but actually say, listen for patients, we'll get our act together to have a one-stop shop, which is not driven by commercial interest, but actually by the fact is we want to serve patients with reliable information. And then of course, then afterwards downstream, you know, we compete, that's all fine. So 
I think it's driven by collaboration, navigation to help patients to have certain or specific safe havens where they believe the probability is higher that this information is curated and trustworthy. And at the same time, you know, it doesn't help to have a secret garden of information if nobody knows about it. So it's both. Both this garden or the wealth of information, bringing most or many players to the table, involve your patient and the healthcare provider and talk about it, make people aware of it. So we don't reinvent the wheel 25 times. It's a pity. It's a waste of resource. And technology and platforms can play a big role in doing so. Great. And then moving on a little bit, we've mentioned already that cancer patients often have a lot of needs and many of those needs are emotional or related to their mental and behavioral health. I was wondering, you know, what oncologists can do to partner with mental health care providers to ensure there's this wraparound patient care. And, you know, what are some of the best practices to ensure care coordination between all providers and all stakeholders? It's probably one of the hardest things to do. It's coordination healthcare systems. Healthcare systems are very high performing, but coordination between players sometimes are not easy. Of course, in some of the very big clinics, you do have it from the start. In more community settings, sometimes it's harder, but I think we'll can't judge it in general. I think a certain point is when you say healthcare providers or clinical treaters, Actually, to involve mental specialists from the start, it's not an afterthought. It's not, you know, I did my treatment, here we go. It's actually from the start to create a treatment team, which is made of clinicians and non-clinicians. So actually, you actually embrace the patients. You have the patient from the start, but actually several guardian angels, which a clinician treating the cancer cells is only one. You bring in the A team from the start, probably that's the key. As soon as you move on in the therapy and people say, I did my job in care, and you move on to the next step, that's not how life works. Cancer is not a sequential disease of treatment. Cancer is actually parallel tracks playing together, which lead to a very tightly knit ecosystem. So my advice is build the A-team from the start. It's not a sequential fight. Great. And then you mentioned how for cancer patients, as well as their family members, there's a lot of administrative hassle making sure that, you know, they're filling out the right forms and and all of that kind of stuff. How can healthcare organizations leverage patient navigators or care coordinators or someone in that sort of a role to make sure that the headache of all of these logistics are handled so that patients and their families can really just focus on the clinical fight ahead? It's a big endeavor. And just the fact that there are care coordinators, should they be physical or electronic, can play a huge role because you only know what you know. And if you're the first time, you know, you get contacted by your electricity company, didn't pay a bill is a very unpleasant piece. So actually just having the lay of the land, having humans or machines complementing is a huge thing. The second one is, and we hope that, you know, overall as society modernizes where certain things can be dealt electronically, we are able to integrate that. So you know what is going on and you know what you have to do. Certain things might be done automatically going forward. We don't know yet. It sounds like Star Wars. It's probably not. But actually, it's kind of the pure fact that you don't lose sight of what is going on in your administration is a good start. But then actually, probably find the right divide and conquer of what can be automated, what can be delegated, what you need to take care of can take a huge load away. So you don't wake up during the night and say, God, I forgot this and that. I do going to turn off the water and so on, just to make a silly example. That's very practical, but very impactful. Same like grocery shopping. You know, when we're healthy, it's all easy. I'll just head down and buy something. When you are fighting with the disease and the energy is draining, that's not just something you just decide and get up. So I think, again, this orchestration, this planning, this anticipation, you can almost say 
this concierge-like navigation of either a human or an app or both can be very valuable. Yeah, and you know, I find it interesting. You mentioned kind of a few different social determinants of health there. You mentioned the groceries, which relates to food security. And you mentioned making sure that all the bills get paid and things like that. What role does kind of community-based health or community health partners play in this orchestration that you just mentioned? A huge one. They play a huge role. The people working in this community-based care have a huge role to play and also a demanding role. To play. You know, some of them work professionally, some are volunteers. So how, how do you orchestrate it? How do you keep up the resource, the funding networks for them? How do you keep up the collaboration? So I think they're a very, very essential element, which sometimes is very professionally organized, sometimes not. And, and depending on a patient, you might be very fortunate or not. You might even sometimes depend on during holiday season, is somebody around? So I think it, these communities are extremely important. I don't believe that any effective clinical care can take place without also some aid from these networks. Yeah, and you've peppered throughout this conversation a little bit about the role of the payer. I don't know if you wanted to briefly just mention what role payers play in making sure that providing patient-centered care doesn't just fall on the hospital or health system, but it's really a coordinated effort between health systems and payers. Yeah, payers have a, a very demanding role between being gatekeepers, how the funds of the healthcare system and the insurance premiums are allocated. Now, obviously, we would always hope that they're very fast in, in agreeing with the treatment. <clears throat> At the same time, we know they have a control role to play. So I think Probably what helps is for patients under moments of distress is, is that payers are approachable, transparent, and fast. Of course, we hope they will come back in every case and say we decide on funding. But if there are doubts or questions which need to be addressed by doctors, it might better happen very fast and transparent rather than as an afterthought, you didn't hear anything. So I think payers have a key role to play in actually enabling access to therapy. And I think they have more than just an administrative role. Every interaction with a patient is an interaction. So as such, you know, you would hope also that payers do understand and will, of course, do so with the right empathy while, of course, executing the job. Great. And then just to kind of close out, if you wanted to tell me where you see either the biggest strides or the most advancements within the healthcare industry, where you see healthcare really meeting these evolving patient needs. So when I went to medicine school 20 years ago, there were diseases which, if you had them, you know, we could get cancer, it's a death sentence, guaranteed. CML was one, and then a miracle happened with a drug like Lidec introduced. Breast cancer was a death sentence, and today it's in many instances a chronic disease. Melanoma, black metastatic melanoma, until the advent of a certain drug classes, your odds of survival of five years were almost zero. I think these are miracles. And they should not tell us it's not time to continue research. But they have shown us if we really as a society stand together and research really what is needed, cancer can turn chronic. And then it opens a new door. How is it for liver cancer? Something which was not a challenge many years ago. And at the same time, we also see, you know, what amazed me still is while, while we are solving some of the big cancers, increasingly, there's still such an incredible need out there to address the diseases which are incurable, address quality of life. So if I take a step back, as I'm, I'm a pharmacist by training. I'm amazed by what we can do as humans to address an extremely villain uh, disease, which are not rogue cells, it's our own cells, but there's still much, so much more to do. And if all of us can play a small role 
and advancing the, the journey and the history of cancer. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This was super insightful. I think it's going to be really helpful for everyone who is trying to sort of enhance the patient experience, you know, in the oncology field and beyond. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to us at sheath at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any other healthcare industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple to give us a few stars and a positive review. Thanks for listening. And that concludes season three of Healthcare Strategies. We'll be back with more episodes for season four in early September. See you then. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.